You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. time in the, not begin our time, but in the Word. Our heavenly and gracious and loving Father, we thank you um, for the generosity that you have given to us in Christ. We just sang that, that uh, a prayer that, and a desire to actually be obedient to your word, that the world around us, our family, our friends, our co-workers, uh, people in school, and, and their neighbors would know that we are Christians by our love. Um, and even specifically, Lord, in your word, by our, for our love for even one another. And Lord, we, we ask you to forgive us when we fail to embrace that. Uh, not to do it perfectly, but to even embrace it and say, that is something that's on our hearts and our desires. Lord, we thank you that we can sing that this not only out of obedience to your word, but uh, in reflecting on love for us. That your word tells us that you demonstrated your love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, you died for us. Lord, we thank you again and again. Praise you. Give you glory because of the generosity and the proactiveness of your love for us. You did not wait for us to get our act together. You still don't when you demonstrate and give us your love. We thank you that you're a God that is full of grace and mercy. And Lord, we we just want to celebrate together as the body of Christ, just simply represented as Red Sea, but as uh, we prayed this morning, is represented in thousands and tens of thousands of churches all across the world who gather on the Lord's Day to celebrate the awesomeness of your love for us. And we are a piece of that. And it's, it's, it's recognizing that we're a piece of that, that we celebrate this time together. We again thank you, give you the glory and the honor. And Lord, we pray this, and we worship, and we hear the word in your name because of the provision we, you have provided for us in Christ. We thank you in that name. Amen. For a, for a month or two, we were promoting and, and encouraging men to sign up for the Tearing Down Idols uh, retreat that was happening at Camp Tadmore. It happened this past Friday and Saturday, and five of us went, myself and Lance Dalkey. Lance, I think you're here. Raise your hand, Lance. Oh, he's not here. There he is. <laughs> he, he's embarrassingly in the restroom right now, okay? Um, uh, his wife raised her hand. Uh, Doug Fuller, you can raise your hand. You're here. Kim Chu, Kim's there. And then also, I'm going to ask James to come up. James Sliger was part of it. There's James. They'll know you when you get up here, man. And uh, James is going to share a little bit about, just very briefly, about his time this weekend. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Oh, so, uh, I had the privilege of going to the men's retreat, uh, training retreat this weekend. And the topic was on tearing down idols. So, first of all, just standing up here... I care about what you guys think about me, and I don't know you, but it's kind of nervousing, so just getting it out there is good. And uh, this is one of many idols that I have. I care about your guys' opinion, even though I don't know you from Adam, more than I care about God's. 
So, that being said, um, so, oh, a personal story of mine. Um, my wife and I, we've been married for two and a half years. We got two kids, and it's been kind of stressful. Not a lot of sleep. Um, and about four hours before we left on Friday, um, we had a huge fight, and we've been fighting quite a bit lately. Um, just over stupid things, but things that haven't been resolved and haven't been reconciled. And, uh, and then I went to this camp, and it didn't get resolved. So, um, it was really exciting. Some of the guys in there, um, or the curriculum, that, or the, the topic that we were going through was on tearing down idols. And we dealt with three idols. Do I need to, like, hold the mic still? Because I'm probably closer. Whoa! Uh, So we dealt with three topics, uh, the fear idol, the crave idol, and the trust idol. And uh, then he broke it down, and um, it really exposed a lot of idolatry in my my heart that I didn't know was there. And a lot of expectations and demands that I was putting on my wife, because I was idolizing her. I was idolizing myself. And I was expecting her to change, and I was punishing her for it. And, uh, I mean, it's probably mutual, but that's not a justification. So, um... Before I left, I felt hopeless and didn't know what I want. Like I didn't know what to do. But going on this retreat, it was a great equipping to say, "Hey, you've forgotten the gospel. You've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten what Christ has done for you. Your identity is in what He has done, and the punishment you want to carry out on your wife, Christ took on the cross. And so, same thing for me. And I'm not any better. And and so um, I guess I would uh, encourage you that. How you battle idolatry is through faith and trusting what he said is true. I mean, he said it's finished on the cross. That's what it means. It's finished. And uh, we tend to wander away from that. So um, when I got back, I was able to just share some of this realization of, like, the idols in my life. And we've been able to work towards a reconciliation. And sorry about that. and I'm, I'm more encouraged and have excitement, whereas before I had depression, and my perspective has changed back to with the gospel, that I'm saved by grace through faith and what he has done. So, um, I mean, if, if this topic encourages you at all, or you have any questions, I'm sure you can talk to Josh, Royce, any of the guys that went, myself. We'd love to break it down for you, because it's really helpful, really encouraging, and... Uh, I think that's about it. So thank you guys for your time. And uh, yeah, God bless. Thanks, James. It's, uh, as you, it's not easy for some people to get up here and, and share those things, especially to disclose some of the struggles they're having. Um, it was good. There was, I, don't, I didn't have a head count of 100 or so guys from... 15 or 20 different churches across the Oregon mostly, a few, a few from Washington. Um, and CB Northwest, the association of churches that we're a part of, uh, has these events periodically, and uh, we'll be announcing some more of them, but they're very fruitful to get together, especially with other guys. Even if you don't know them, you get in the room, you get the gospel preached to you, and you realize, you know what? We're just about all the same. We struggle with the same stuff, the same idols, and thankfully it's the same gospel that's the answer for all those. Maybe different idols or different struggles, but um, the same gospel answers that. So it's very encouraging. Some of those are very intense times, and uh, we hope to invite you to more of those. Uh, we will be inviting to more, more of those in the future. I hope you can uh, uh, participate in those.
I want to share very briefly from the Word today. Um, it's going to be a little condensed and, uh, from what we're going to do, and it's going to be very simple. We've been, we've been talking about prayer for the month of January. We started off talking about the Lord's Prayer and walking through that as a model, as a framework for prayer. And then we talked about what it meant to pray in Jesus' name. It's something we normally tack on at the end of a sermon to let everybody else know that we're done. Um, but really, it is, it is, it's in Jesus' name because of the work of Christ that we even come before the Father and pray. And then we talked last week, Josh shared, uh, about perseverance in prayer. What happens when a prayer seems to go unanswered? How do, we, how do we stay in it? What is the Lord trying to do in our life? And today we're going to talk about just something really, really simple, and that's praying together, praying with each other. The, the necessity that we as Christians, if we're going to grow, we're going to walk with Christ, we're going to walk in the church, that it is not just one of those things that happens once in a while, but praying with, and I don't mean just praying for other people. We should do that. I'm talking about getting together with other people in your family, in your home community, as a church, as triads, as, as friends. It doesn't make a difference. But regularly and consistently praying with each other is a, is a, is a mark of, of what it means to be a Christian and walk with Christ. Something that's often overlooked. And I venture to guess that if many of us would say, hey, uh, you know, talked about praying together and, and we took a poll, most of us would be very uncomfortable. I heard a guy share about this, talking about this topic, and he said, for Christians to pray together, is, it's like people getting on an elevator, right? They'll be chatting and having a great old time, and then they'll step onto the elevator, and they all face the same way. They're quiet. They're very uncomfortable. And there's sort of this claustrophobic idea of feeling among everybody and nobody knows what to do, and then the elevator door is open, and then they're back to being chatty and stuff. And, I, and you know what? I think he's right. I think, I think a lot of people, when it's time to pray together, it's awkward, we don't know what to do, and, um, and it's just hard to work through. Well, today, I'm not going to focus so much on the how-to. We're going we're to be addressing that at later dates, um, but, but I'm going to focus more on the simple concept that, that um, praying together as believers in Christ, both as a church but also as individual believers in our walk with Christ, is in an essential aspect of our lives. Many of us, I think, feel it's one of those optional things that if it's convenient we work out, then we'll do if we don't have something else going on. And I want to make the case very simply, but hopefully very forcefully, that praying with other believers is, is an essential, it's a non-negotiable, and it should be a regular part of all our lives. And uh, I, I was hearing another guy talk about, again, how encourage people to pray together. And one of the people in his church said to him, he said, Pastor, um, it, praying devotionally, praying privately in my, in my own home, or praying with, with, uh, with other people, praying in the church. He goes, which, which one is more important? Did I, did I pray at home and have that consistent devotional time, or did I, did I pray in the church with the other people? And the pastor's response is, he goes, that's a silly question. That's like asking me, in order to walk, which is more important, my left leg or my right leg? And he's right. And when it comes to the Christian walk, it's not either or. It's not that we get to choose the option, I'll be really good at prayer at home because I'm comfortable with that, but I, I can really, because of that, I can ignore praying with other people. It, then you're not really fully walking in Christ the way God designed it. And that's my, my goal today isn't so much, again, a how-to, but it's to make the case, biblically, that, that um, praying together is an essential part of our lives. And I'm going to work through a number of passages. I'm going to mention them. I'm going to fly through most of them. 
and, and you don't need to turn there because I'm going to be going very quickly. And some of them I'm not even going to reference the reference. I'm just going to tell you the book. And I want you to feel both in the teaching of Scripture and the example of Scripture that believers praying with each other in the same room, doing it together, praying for the same things, is the norm, is the expectation of believers in Christ. So the first one I'm going to do is talk about the teaching of Jesus. The teaching of Jesus. We have a passage. Do we have a passage? We have a passage. There you go. Okay, we already walked through this. I'm not going to walk through this uh, line by line like we have already done. We've already done that. What I want you to notice there in, in bold, the very thing. This is the, Jesus uh, was taught his disciples to pray. There's very few places where his disciples specifically came to him and said, teach us to do this. We've been doing it for years. We've been doing it in our custom for our whole lives. But Jesus, we need you to teach us how to pray. But what's interesting about this is that Jesus taught them to pray. And, we, and what we often, as us as Westerners, overlook is that the prayer Jesus taught them is plural. It's not singular. There's no I. There's no me. There's no mine in the whole prayer. Okay? It, it, this is like, okay, well, so what? Well, the so what is Jesus instructs them to pray in Jesus' mind and with his disciples. The only framework he, he gave them specifically to pray is that they're going to be praying with each other. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then in verse 3, uh, excuse me, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive uh, have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil and, and the expectation here from Jesus and from the disciples isn't simply that they would pray this at home and for themselves which by the way you should and you can and should but there is a greater expectation that as a church as a group of believers together they would be praying they know the unforgiveness that's between them they want to pray about that. They know the dangers that they're facing. They need to pray about that. They know the provision, the daily provision. They need God to supply them as the body of Christ. They pray about that. In Luke, in Luke 11, which parallels this Matthew passage, the disciples are very clear. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Their expectation is we're going to pray together. Teach us together how to pray. And he taught them to pray. And, and he said to them, pray in this way. So to, and, and we can confirm that their request was plural because he taught them in the plural. Does that make sense? Now, this is really, really simple, but yet it has a huge impact. When Jesus tells us to pray, it is expected that we'll be praying with other people in the plural. In fact, even in Luke 18, where Josh looked at last week, Jesus says he's going to instruct them more on perseverance in prayer. And Jesus said, and he told them, plural, a parable to, to, um, to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. So even in his instruction and perseverance of unanswered prayer, what appears to be unanswered prayer, Jesus was instructing them to pray together that we together will persevere in praying. It, it, the, uh, the concept of, of just doing it by ourselves probably wasn't a big part of their understanding of that teaching. And then we also have not only the direct teaching of Christ, which we should stop there and it should be enough, right? It should be enough. But we have the testimony and the example of the early church. We have numerous places in the book of Acts particularly that shows them that they prayed together and that was just a part of who they are. For example, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascended. He, he, he was risen from the dead. 
excuse me, he rose from the dead, he met with the disciples, uh, he was with them for quite a while, he taught them, he explained, he met in a mountain, and he, he went up into the sky, and they, and they stood there looking, and the angel had said, what are you guys doing? Come on, get down, head to the city, go where he told you to go. So we're told in Acts chapter 1 that they went into the city, and they gathered together, and even named some of the people, not all the people, and it's the first time we're told that the mother... Um, um, I think it's this verse. Yeah. Anyways, that, that the women were with him. Mary and um, Mary, Jesus' mother and his brothers, for the first time, show up. Jesus' physical half-brothers, for the first time, are part of the early church after the ascension. And what we are told that they do, all of these, he had just named them, were in one accord devoting themselves to prayer. So the early church, when they got together, they spent their time. They, the word is very strong. They devoted themselves. It was intentional. It was committed. It was something that they did for a long period of time. They devoted themselves together, all of them, to prayer. In Acts chapter 2, uh, we have the preaching, the famous well-known sermon of, of the uh, apostle Peter. And he goes and he preaches a sermon. And at the end of it, we're told that 3,000 people were added to the church in one day. 3,000 people came to Christ and were suddenly part of it. And then, and then he goes on, Luke does, in chapter 2, and says, well, what did they do with those people? What, what is it that they spent their time doing? How did they take care of all those people that they, a church just was birthed? And it says that in Acts chapter 2 that they devoted themselves, again, in the plural, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers to the prayers. They devoted themselves to the prayers. He didn't say prayer. He could have. He does other places. They didn't just devote themselves to the concept of prayer. They didn't devote themselves to, you know what, we all should be praying people. That would be a good idea. That's, that's not the way we understand it. He prayed, they, they devote themselves to the prayers, implying that they were specific times of prayer that they would meet and pray with. And we have the example of the early church. That's exactly what they did. They had regular times where that's what they got together did and pray. They devoted themselves as a church, new believers, right out the chute. They devoted themselves to teaching and interacting in fellowship. They had their, their home communities, okay? And they also devoted themselves to the times of prayer. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were called before the council and threatened, don't preach the gospel. And if you do, we're going we're to bring the hammer down on you. And we're told there that, that they're arrested. And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them, basically threatened them. And then we're told, and when they, all their friends and everybody heard it, um, they lifted their voices to God and said, and were told the prayer. So their response to the threat was, we need to pray about this. And they were told not to preach and we're told at the end of that prayer that they not only preached but they preached with extra boldness after they prayed together um, in Acts chapter 6 the early church has started growing they had they had logistical administrative problems they had they were distrib distributing food to people in need and not everybody in fact racially there was tension the Hellenistic Jews were being overlooked and so they had to work through some of those racial issues in the diversity of the church. And they said, and the apostles said, hey, we need this taken care of. But, but we have other things we need to focus on. We can't let those essential things that we are doing uh, as a church go. So we, we need you to find qualified people to take care of this legitimate need, which they did. 
But then they said, their response was, we need to devote ourselves, notice the word devote again, to the, to, um, to the prayer and to the ministry of the word. And again, it's plural. They, as a church, need to devote themselves. The apostles leading the way as an example and in praying, devoted themselves to the ministry of word, uh, to prayer and ministry of the word. In Acts chapter 12, James was, expect, uh, was executed in Her- Herod. The first part of James chapter 12, James the apostle is killed, just cut by a sword. And then they arrest John. And when Herod found out that, I mean Peter, when he found out that pleased the people, he arrested Peter, put him in prison. There's this long discussion about how Peter gets out of prison, an angel uh, gets him out of prison. And that's interesting, that, and, and we're told after he's arrested, we're told Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was being made to God by the church. So while he's in prison, the church is praying. And then what we're told is at the end of this, he gets out of prison and he doesn't realize where he is. It's kind of this, he just doesn't understand what's going on because people usually don't walk out of prison. And he says, and he says when he realized that he was out of prison, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose, whose name was Mark, where, quote, many were gathered together and were praying. So he knew where to find his friends. He knew where to find the church. Where were they? They were praying. He knew that. In Acts chapter 13, we have the, it's now out of Jerusalem. The church is in Antioch. It's been growing. It's having a huge impact in that part of the, part of the world. And that we are told that they were praying and worshiping together and, and serving the Lord together as a group, as a church. And the Lord said, set apart me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work I have, I have for them. The first, as we understand them, missionaries, people who intentionally left not because of persecution, but intentionally left to go to other parts of the world to share the gospel, left from Antioch. And how were they told to go? They were praying together. The Holy Spirit says, we want to send them. And we're told in Acts 13, what they, they, they uh, prayed for them, laid their hands on them, and they sent them out. The first missionaries were sent from a time of prayer. In Acts, in Acts uh, 21, a very, it's a little side note. One of the lessons of reading our Bibles is when somebody in their Bible, particularly in a narrative, makes a comment, and it's a little comment, and it might not seem to do a lot to do with the story, but he obviously took the trouble to write it. He wanted us to know something. And one of the, an example of this is in Acts chapter 21. Paul is heading to Jerusalem. He knows that he's going to be arrested. The Holy Spirit's already told him and other people this. He's going to be arrested, and then he... Um, and he's heading, so he's visiting the churches that he's had as he's going. He's heading to Jerusalem, so he's just visiting as he's traveling. And he's visiting the church in Tyre. He, he spends a couple of days with them. They head out. And then we're told that they, 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 they went out and they took him out and they went on the beach. And we're told this. And they all, the people of the church in Tyre, with wives and children accompanying us. That's the part, that's the comment that I want you to notice. They all, the church left, and he specifically says, with the wives and children. And they went out into the beach, and they knelt together on the beach, and they prayed for Paul. And then Paul left, and, uh, and they knew they'd never see him again. It's just, I just find it very significant. Luke went to the trouble to tell us that the children were with them when they prayed. As a church, children were part of those times of prayer. Um, uh, the teaching of Jesus, the early example, the example of Paul. I'm, I'm going to move a little faster now. The example of Paul. Paul, if you read his letters, it's, again, it's very easy to quickly to go over this, but Paul uh, a number of times talks about how he obviously is praying with other people. In Colossians he says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. We have not ceased to pray for you. 
Paul's regular practice of his is to be praying with other people. To the Thessalonians, he says, to this end, we always pray for you. So in both cases, it's not just, hey, one time, you know what, we thought of you guys, we shout out a prayer. His, we don't cease to pray for you. We always pray for you. It shows, again, a consistency of them praying together for the other churches. And in the teaching of Paul, Paul not only gives us examples from his life, but he also gives us specific teaching where he says, I want you to pray together. For example, in Colossians 4, he says, Can, to, now I want to step back here. In the letters, this is a very simple thing, but we sometimes in our American, particularly individualism, the way we read our Bible, we forget that the letters, most of the Bible, the vast majority of the Bible was written to a group of people. Every, all the 66 books are written to a group of people. The letters we know as epistles or Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, Thessalonians, Galatians, those letters that Paul wrote to people um, were not to individuals. They were to a whole church. So when they received the letter, they, they wouldn't have made copies and distributed it. They wouldn't have put it up on the website. They wouldn't have uh, done any of that stuff, would they have? I mean, it seems kind of silly to think about that. What would they have done? They would have gotten the letter, and they would have gathered everybody around as they, always, they already were meeting, and they would have read the letter to Paul. Now think about this. If your routine was always reading the Scripture together, they didn't have Bibles in their home. They didn't do any of that. They had to do it together. Their mindset and the way they would have responded would have been together. So when Paul says in, to the Colossian church, he says to them, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, they would not have said, you know what, when I get home, I need to start penciling in some time of prayer. What they would have thought is, you know what, we, right here, right now, we need to be continue steadfastly in prayer. Uh, in the Ephesians, he does the same thing with Ephesians. He puts on, at chapter 6, the armor of God. And he's, he's laying through all the different pieces of the armor. And then he says in verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, um, and making supplication for all the saints and also for me. Again, the armor of God often is taught as an individual thing, an individual Christian. Paul wrote that to a church. The message was to the church. He's expecting that the church would pray in that way, combining in that passage the Word of God and the, and the work of the Spirit and to pray. In Romans, he says, again, to a church, to a group of people, rejoice in hope, be patient, patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. To the Thessalonians, he says, Brothers, um, 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 I want you to um, have peace among yourselves. So he's talking about how they relate to each other. And then he says the, the, well, the passage in 16 through 18, he says, Be rejoyful always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Okay? He said, he's, so he's talking to, uh, uh, to among you. I want you to behave a certain way. You need to represent the gospel a certain way. And one of those ways is I want you together as a church, as people, I want you to rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. And again, he tacks on the end there something strong. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. In that prayer up here, he says, it says the, second, the, second, uh, the first petition, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes, we talked about this when we, do the, when we did talk through that prayer, we think that the will of God is some mystical thing, you know, sort of like the Star Wars force that sort of comes over us, and then we've got to figure it out, and if we're real sensitive, we can figure out the will of God. It, it really isn't that difficult. 
And, and w- if we wanted to know the will of God and lots of things, where is a primary place we as Christians, as a church and as individuals, as families, can go to know the will of God? Somebody tell me. I can't hear you. Scripture, the Bible. It's, it, this isn't rocket science, okay? The Scripture, the Bible. We have a passage of Scripture that says, this is the will of God. It, it can't get any easier to connect this. What is the will of God? What is God, not only what is the will of God, but he says, what is the will of God in Christ Jesus? Because of the gospel in your life, what is God's will for you as a church? It's that you, it's that you rejoice always, that you together pray without ceasing, and that you give thanks, all of you, in all circumstances. That's God's will for you uh, as, as a church. In, in Timothy, Paul is writing a letter to Timothy. In 1 Timothy, he's given instructions to a young man. And even though he's writing to an individual, he's talking to about what, how that man should, and men and, and, and leaders in general, should lead the church. So it's, it's actually as an application to the whole church. But it's very interesting. After he gives a bunch of instructions to Timothy personally, you, 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 he says in verse 4, uh, chapter 2, verse 8, he says, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. It's interesting that he goes through all these things to Timothy, and then he stops and says, I, it is my desire in every place that men, plural, men, plural, should be praying men, lifting up holy hands without anger and disputing. His expectation is that men should be praying men. And then we also have the requests of Paul. And um, he, says, he says in Thessalonians, brothers, pray for us. Brothers, plural, pray for us, plural. He says in Thessalonians, the second letter, finally, brothers, pray for us, same thing, to the Colossians. And, um, pray for us, that God would open the door for, our word, for the word. Um, so, so not only did he um, give example and he taught on it, he actually requested that people, plural, people, pray for him and his ministry teams. Um, and also the partnership, in, uh, we have also a partnership of prayer. This is something that I would, what originally was going to spend more time on, but I just want to highlight is that, that, in, in, that we often think of prayer sometimes as a duty and we struggle a little bit with actually that it accomplishes thing, anything, especially if we're praying for people not in the immediacy. And um, I'm trying to be concise. And... Um, but Paul's theology of prayer is that when people pray together, things happen. God works in a very powerful way. And he considered people praying for him and his team as ministry partners. They're in different cities. But he, he no less valued their partnership in the gospel as if they were by, by his side. For example, in 2 Corinthians 1, he says, you, to the Corinthian church, you also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Um, he, he's, you help us by your prayers. Uh, there will be many blessings through the prayers of many. And, and he's expecting that the blessings will come, and he's giving credit where credit is due. He didn't say, because I'm a great preacher. He said, because you guys are praying, things are going to happen. He said to the Romans, I appeal to you, brothers, um, by, the, by the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Holy Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. To the Philippians, he says, 
Um, yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, it will turn out for my deliverance. Again, he's expecting that his ministry, the success of his ministry, the impact of Paul's ministry, he ties directly to other churches praying for him. We could also look at the teaching of James. He says to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we would be healed. Uh, the uh, teaching of Peter in the first Peter, where he says that we are to... Um, that we are to remain um, self-controlled and sober-minded for our sake of our prayers and how we interact with one another. I just went through simple things. I just, I just wanted us to just lay out in front of us not a specific how-to, but just the weight of the biblical witness, the biblical teaching, through the teaching and example of Scripture that, that um, praying together is an essential part of what we do. Now, we're going to be inviting you over to time, so we're not going to just stop now and spend the next six hours in prayer. So if that's your fear, don't worry about it, okay? That's not what we're going to do. But we are going to be inviting you and providing you and us opportunities to pray more and more, and we're going to be more explicit about it, more explicit about the calling. For example, um, in this coming Friday evening and Saturday morning, we're having a workshop on prayer. And it's going to be how to open your Bible, how, and we're going to give you hands-on. It's, a, it's not me rambling for two hours. I promise I will not ramble for two hours. Okay? We're going to have some short times of instruction, and then we're going to pray. Nobody will be embarrassed. Nobody will be put on the spot. But we're going to learn how to open our Bibles to passages and pray the will of God. If it's in the Scripture, let's pray the Scripture. And we'll use, and there are techniques and ways that we can become very comfortable praying with each other and for each other and even in our personal times of opening the Scripture and praying that. So Friday evening, I think it's 6.30 to 8.30, and then Saturday morning from 9.30, no, 9 to 11. Just to be clear, you go to one or the other. You don't, you don't need to come to both. Come one to another, um, and we're going to teach that. Um, one of the other things that we want to encourage you to do is we have talked about here that um, we're going to be changing some ways we do some stuff with kids' community. Amy Gilkey shared that last week. We're, gonna, we're getting a new children's curriculum based on these guys' stuff. And one of the things, uh, one of these guys are Sovereign Grace Ministries, and one of the things that they have is they have a, a Bible that's a devotional Bible, but they also have, and we're going to get the curricul- curriculum that's taught in our children's ministry, and in that children's ministry, um, it, it's going to go through 78 lessons um, the first time on the Old Testament. But what they've also produced, okay, which makes this golden, they produced a devotional that, for, for, that mirrors, it's not identical, but it mirrors what we're going to do in, children's, in the children's community. And it's, it's for, they're just 10 10-minute devotions that you can do with your family. It's meant for having young kids, and it has give you a passage of how to read the Bible, explains it, and it even gives you a little thought to pray. And we want it because it'll reinforce what is done in the children's ministry, you during the week. And if you parents who want to disciple your kids, husbands who want to disciple your wives, and you're like, I'm not sure where to begin, here's a place to begin. It, it, we, it can't get any easier than opening it up and reading it and engaging in it, and especially as they walk you through it, and it'll be parallel. And anybody who joins Red Sea, they come in in June, they'll just plug in right where they were, right where we begin. And I would encourage you to, to if, you, um, if you're considering that, and this isn't just for, it's designed for families, but you don't have to be a family to work through this. It is very valuable to do. Uh, we are ordering these this week. So as a, on the Connect booth, there is a sign-up for both these, another, uh, a Bible for younger children, and then these devotionals. If you want to order one through us, 
uh, then you can order them there. One thing real quick, these, if some of you may have also have, I'm not going to take a survey of how many of you have actually read through the Bible. Uh, we should, as, as Christians, be reading the Bible regularly. It, it's, it's, it's pretty self-evident. But one of the things is we get intimidated by reading the Bible. And one of the things that I like about this kind of, this kind of book, this isn't a Bible, okay? It, it's, it's, it's a gospel story. It's a paraphrase. But they just have nice pictures for the kids, okay, drawings. And it's a, it's a summary of what it is. And here's my challenge to you, or here's my word of encouragement, not so much a challenge. If you've never, as an adult, it doesn't make a difference. If you've never actually worked your way through the Bible, and you feel like it's intimidating, you might get lost, you don't understand what's going on, getting one of these or something comparable and working through it, just leave the embarrassment of working through a kid's Bible aside, okay? Okay? We don't need to be embarrassed, okay? Seriously. And read the summary, and then go to the passages here. This is Exodus 33 and 34. God has mercy on Israel. And he will, they will explain what these chapters are about. They always bring in Christ. Okay, yes, Christ is in the Old Testament. It all points to him. And then you can go and read the real passages. And you can work through the Bible reading this and getting familiar with this and getting very comfortable. And then at a later time, you can read it from cover to cover or some other way. But I really want to encourage you uh, to, to consider doing this. So this isn't just for the kids or for families um, to do that. Um, and we are going to be doing, like I said, we're going to be doing more times of prayer, inviting home communities and, and us into prayer. I just want to wrap up by just pointing something out. And in this prayer it says, Our Father who art in heaven. It's our Father who art in heaven. We're told in the Word of God, and Paul tells the Galatians, that, that we can call God Father because of the work of Christ. This isn't simply that God is a, God is a father, therefore we get to, he's a, it's a magical formula, or it's hocus pocus, or he's a genie in the bottle. We enter God's presence. He's our father because of who he is, uh, what he's done for us in Christ. Paul wrote to the Galatians, but when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons, and become, and because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts that we cry, Abba, Father. We are adopted as sons and daughters of God, sons of God, because of what Christ has done. When we take communion, and we invite you to take communion, if, you're, if you have responded to the gospel message in repentance and faith, whether here or someplace else, and you want to take communion, worship God in that, you are doing that when you come up. Every week when we do this, we are, we are in essence recognizing that we have the freedom to pray this prayer together because we can say, Abba, Father, because we are adopted. We are heirs because of what Christ has done. So I invite you to, to, um, to take communion, to continue in worship. I'll ask the worship team to come on up and um, to, to do that. And remember today as we take communion that you do so. You can clearly and, and confidently refer to the loving Heavenly Father as your Father because of the work of Christ. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we can, that we can say, Abba, Father. We thank you, Lord, for your generosity and your closeness and your love for us. We thank you, Lord, for, for your mercy, your grace, 
And I especially thank you that we are the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the temple of God together. And in it, and as such, we experience your presence in new and fresh ways. And we ask that you do that now, even as we sing and worship you, that we would experience the work of your spirit in us. We thank you in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.